Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And today we have a special guest on the show with us. Uh, it's Miss Jennifer Holmes. So special. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we are going to be taking time today to talk through Elijah, really, is, is what our, our main focus is going to be. But we're going to let Jennifer sure. talk a little bit about who she is and what she does. So yeah, I'm just going to give kind of like a brief intro uh, into who you are, Jennifer, and then we'll kind of have you go a little bit more in depth. But uh, Jennifer is a a wife, mom, speaker, and writer, uh, and she's exploring how mental health and faith uh, intersect and is currently working on her master's in biblical counseling at Westminster Theological Seminary, which to me is just like super impressive. (laughs) Yeah, we're not highly sophisticated people, Jen. (laughs) I'm not either, so I'm, I'm always surprised I got in. Yeah, that's great. Oh, well, uh, Glenn did a pretty good job, right? I mean, congrats, Glenn. We'll give you a round of applause. Uh, But by all means, tell us about yourself, who you are, what you do, and yeah, all your highfalutin, you know, biblical counseling stuff. (laughs) Well, as you said, my name is Jen. I usually go by Jen. And I am in the biblical counseling world because I struggle with my own mental health. And I have been writing on depression for probably about five years, but I kind of didn't want to get stuck there. I didn't want to be that girl. And (laughs) I kept trying to get away from it and write Bible studies or other things. And the Lord just kept bringing me back to, I need your voice in this space. And two years ago, about, I was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder. And that was a hard diagnosis for me. And I had to learn a lot about mental health, about taking care of my mental health, and a lot about that world. And I started searching the scriptures for what the Bible had to say to me, because the Bible does not use the term bipolar. And so I had to start really searching the scriptures. And that led me to an organization called CCEF, which is Christian Counseling Education Foundation. And I earned my first certificate in counseling with them more as a research thing to to know more about this this kind of world that I was into. And then that led me, they're affiliated with Westminster. And so I was able to kind of transfer into the master's program there from CCEF. So I see a counselor on a regular basis. I struggle yeah. with my own mental health, but I have been teaching Bible study and teaching women for many, many years, talking about depression for about five. And then now um, solely focused on mental health and how it intersects with the Bible for about a year and a half now. Man, that is an incredible story. (laughs) Yeah, and that's one of the things that when, like we were just talking before we started recording, I kind of saw you on Twitter and I was like, okay, this is interesting. It's not, I don't, well, I wouldn't say I don't talk about it. I don't know that I've talked about it a ton on the podcast, but I've struggled with depression for a number of years now. So I really liked the way you were talking about things and I really liked, as you said, that even though the Bible doesn't use words like bipolar or even depressed um, all that often. And really, we don't use that language to talk about stories in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You being able to pull some of those things out, it immediately clicked for me of like, absolutely, this is what this is. And uh, it makes a ton of sense now and is now even more helpful and applicable to me now that I can kind of see it coming through. So specifically, 
I read some stuff that you had about Elijah, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we, as Glenn and I were saying earlier, have talked about Elijah on the podcast before, but I really liked this other angle that you were able to come at it. And uh, anyway, I won't I won't get the cart before the horse. It, it'll be really good. <laughs> One thing I did want to ask you before we jump in too much is explain to us a little bit about Bipolar 2, because I think most people's uh, understanding of bipolar is probably pretty stereotypical and maybe not a a great representation of what it's actually like to live with it. And so we don't spend too much time on it, but I would love to hear what it's been like for you, what what that growing process of learning more and, and figuring that out has looked like. Yeah, so there's actually two types of bipolar, which I didn't even realize before I was diagnosed. And yeah. so bipolar one is what most people might think of as more stereotypical, where mm-hmm. you will actually, on the highs, you can have um, psychotic breaks. And so you can, um, it's mostly caused from lack of sleep. A lot of people with bipolar have a lot of trouble sleeping. And that's what actually led to my diagnosis was a lack of sleep. And so mm-hmm. in bipolar two, the highs are not as high. So the, the mania is called hypomania instead of mania. So it does not come with psychotic breaks, uh, and but the lows are lower. And so that's why most of my life, I thought I was struggling with depression with other times of being able to conquer the world and do all the things. And, um, and then... I would think like that was my normal me and the depressed me was just depression that I struggled with. But I didn't realize that those times of thinking I could do anything and everything all at once were actually hypomania. And so that's my, that's my main issue is, is that I go through periods of being unable to sleep, maybe sleeping for four hours a night for several weeks at a time. And, uh, which can give you a lot of physical symptoms. I can have a lot of physical pain, migraines, that sort of thing. And so when I was diagnosed, took me another year or two to decide to go on medication. And then uh, I'm now on medication, which is really just, it just helps me sleep and which levels me out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to explain that to us. Uh, One, because I wanted to make sure, like I said, that we kind of got rid of any uh, things that might be like hovering around when we use the word bipolar or or talk about that. But two, because (laughs) this is anybody who listens to our show, this is now their introduction of you. (laughs) And you're obviously a lot more than that. And so I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to, to share that with us. Well, and I also just wanted to say like, I love that God is using this for you to to reach and disciple people. Even when you were giving your uh, your kind of like intro of who you are and everything, you were talking about like, do I really want to be that lady writing and talking about this topic and how like you were dragging your feet on it, but God called you to do it. And and the moves and strides that you're making now, they're affecting people and, and making change. So I am just, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, you're getting all, you're getting on big old, podcasts like bible and stuff i mean really <laughs> making I waves made it now yes <laughs> oh that's what in the back what, of our heads we're like we've made it now <laughs> we have jennifer <laughs> so we need to start sending gifts gifts uh gift bags to guests that just say like you've made it <laughs> thanks Perfect. for coming on the show all right well now let's start talking about elijah we've kind of teased it a lot but as I said, when you started to use some of this language, 
as you talk through this story and as you teach this story, I found it really helpful. So I'd love to hear why you feel so drawn to Elijah and, you know, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about what you've seen in the story in light of all the other stuff that you've gone through. Yeah. So if anyone wants to know, I'm going to be in, uh, the story comes from first Kings 18 and 19, really. And so if anyone wants to check that out for themselves, which I would suggest you do, that that would be awesome. But I was drawn to Elijah. He's become my favorite by far Bible character because I like to say I would not want to go back in history and diagnose, but if if I were to pick someone who is like me, it would be Elijah because he (laughs) seems a little bit bipolar. I don't want to give him that label, but we see in 1 Kings 18, he's up in that classic Bible story, the one we teach the kids and the one we all know about Elijah, where he's up on the mountain and he is mocking the prophets of Baal. And there's this big showdown, old-fashioned showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I can just imagine Elijah like he feels like I feel when I feel like I could conquer the world. And he's Mm. acting like that. He knows it's with God on his side. I'm not trying to take away from his spirituality here, but he's also like, he's sitting back and he's like making fun of them. He's having a (laughs) grand old time. And he really 100 or 1000% believes that God is going to show up for him and God is going to conquer these prophets. And God does. And it is this most amazing victory. It's this huge day for God and the people who follow him and a huge day for Elijah. And then in one day, it says he goes, he runs from Jezebel, who is angry that Elijah has killed all her prophets. He runs from Jezebel and he goes one day's journey into the wilderness He sits down under a juniper tree and asks God to kill him because there is nothing left in life. What a difference. How do you go from that mountaintop experience to sitting under the juniper tree asking God to kill you in one day's journey? And that just seems to me like I can relate to that. That's how I feel some days. I am up on the mountain and I can just conquer the world and do anything. And then other days, I don't even want to live. And I think that we can all relate to that, even if you're not bipolar. <laughs> there can yeah, be absolutely. Times, yeah, there can be times when we just like, we feel like God is with us and we can do anything and we're on the right side. And then other days, like, what is going on? What do we even have in <laughs> life here? And I think this is the first lesson I really learned from Elijah is this conversation that he has with God. Think of the audacity of Elijah. He literally says to God, will you kill me? And that is what I like to call an honest conversation. I think that we are so afraid to have these hard and honest conversations with God as if God didn't know what we're already thinking. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Elijah is not afraid. He is so low and so desperate and so in need of God that he decides to lay it all out there and just tell God exactly 
what he's thinking. And this is not just Elijah that does this. We see this in almost every Psalm. We see where David and the other Psalm writers are saying, God, you have forsaken me. You've abandoned me. God, I wish that I wasn't here anymore. Why won't you take care of my enemies? Uh, We just studied in church tonight. Oh, that I had wings like a dove that I might fly away and be at rest. It's escapism. He wants to leave his life. And we see these conversations happening over and over and over again in the Bible. Job is another great example of honest conversations with God. And we are so afraid to say what we really think and feel to God. And we're not going to get anywhere if we don't start with that honesty. Sure. Well, so first of all, I love that you brought up, like, obviously you don't have to to deal with bipolar to relate to this. What Now, if whether or not it's exa- as exaggerated as what Elijah deals with, where, like, one day he's, like, straight up, like, uh, hey, yeah, dump some more water on this. God's about to light this on fire. <laughs> uh, where's your God? Is he on? I think it's on the toilet. Isn't this ba- like he basically is like, hey, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe he's on the can. And so maybe it's not that exaggerated from like such a high to such a low so fast. But we all experience that over, you know, weeks or months going from these super like can't believe God just did this to, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? But at the same time, sometimes I'm still shocked about how fast I will go from like, oh God, you just really came through for me to like, really? Seriously, man? Like, Mm -hmm. is this how we're going to do this? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I love the way you set that up and I really want to leave it on a cliffhanger. (laughs) I really think yeah, it would be a good time to go to a break and then kind of see how God responds to the way Elijah has reached out and like you said, had this really honest response of like, hey, I'm done. Let's just throw in the towel right now. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about God's response in all of this. We'll be right back. Glenn. Tanner. You remember this idea that I've been telling you about? Like this, how we're buskers, we're podcast buskers. Oh, that idea. Yeah. So this week we're in a coffee shop. Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they actually let buskers in coffee shops, but like we're podcast <laughs> busking in a in a coffee shop. Like the, the ladies pouring coffee over there. Oh yeah. Like you hear the cups clanging around a little bit. Like you know, coffee shop. I like it. The aroma in here is beautiful. It's great. In a world where they would let us in coffee shops again, just period, because you know, uh, that's not a thing right now. If people were walking by. And they liked what we were doing. Maybe they would just throw a couple bucks in. Uh, that sounds great to me. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing here, like, there's costs associated with it. We have to try to, like, keep the lights on and maybe invest in some cool new projects that we want to roll out. But we need a little money. And we're still working on the whole ad thing, which is a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo we don't have to get into. But today, we just have our tip jar in our coffee shop. I like it. Oh, you hear him grinding the beans back there? Yeah, I mean, coffee shop, like I said. This is awesome. (laughs) And so if you're in the same coffee shop we are, maybe you come here every week. Maybe you listen every now and then, and you like what we're doing. We'd love it if you would just give us a couple bucks to help keep making this project better and better. Give whatever you feel comfortable. Give whatever you think we deserve. Yeah, we appreciate anything that uh, you are willing to do. 
and we'll, uh, I don't know, we'll see what kind of place we brew up next time. Oh, gosh. Hey, that guy just put some change in the bucket. Thanks, man. <laughs> hey. Guys, we are back from the break, and like we said, we're going to take some time now to kind of look at what God's response is to what uh, Elijah has just uh, said to God, like, take my life. I I can't handle uh, this anymore. And and Jennifer, you have been uh, just giving glimpses of Elijah that I guess I haven't really thought long enough on. Um, I mean, I've read this story before, like Tanner said, we've even done a podcast on it. And I just, I guess I never took the time to really realize like how drastic um, some of those changes are between, like we were saying, sitting, sitting there like cracking jokes at these guys because of the gods that they are worshiping. And then God just like coming into that situation and being present and like it, it being a victory to now Elijah's in this place where he's run off afraid, I mean, ashamed, like all of these emotions he's feeling and, and in this place of despair, uh, basically. Where where now do we see God take this? Um, how, how do we see this, uh, I guess, turn around? Yeah, so God sends an angel. And we might think after an honest conversation like that, I don't know if you guys ever did this when we were when you were kids, but like, did you ever say something and then say, watch out for the lightning? You know, like God's going to strike you for saying that, you know? And, and that's normally when I, it was normally when I cussed in the church parking lot. (laughs) Well, I will not say I did that, but (laughs) I did say things that I thought maybe God would strike me for like with lightning. And so we might think that a conversation like that would warrant that kind of response from God right? That he would come down and just call him ungrateful or unfaithful. And instead, this angel comes, makes him eat, and then tells him to take a nap. And I think this is so profound and so important for us to realize because God, we would think, would take care of the spiritual aspects of this because there are spiritual Mm. aspects to this. We don't want to discount this, the spiritual lessons that Elijah has to learn in this, but also we don't want to discount the physical. There's something wrong here. Elijah is completely depleted. And so God takes care of his physical because we are physical and spiritual beings. And so God comes in, no condemnation, no lightning, no striking of anything. And he feeds him and tells him to sleep. Then he gets up and there was water and something to eat again. And he laid down again, it says. And he does this twice. There's still no condemnation, still no spiritual discussion. It is just taking care of his physical needs. And I think it's a really important Mm. pattern for us to realize because I think often our physical effects are spiritual so much. And we don't realize that, that often if we just took care of our physical needs, it would really help us be more spiritual. It's just a fact of life. I definitely noticed that uh, the illustration I like to use, but it's, I think it's true for everyone, but with our kids, like a lot of times they're just not behaving well and we get frustrated and we want 
to be like, why are they being this way? And often if we just slow down and say like, when's the last time they ate? Or mm-hmm. like, did he get a nap today? Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, you know what? He actually didn't sleep for very long. Like often, not to, you know, like we discipline our kids. It's not to like uh, write off everything they do as like, oh, it's not their fault. They didn't eat or they need a nap. But it gives us, as parents, we get a lot more gracious in our responses when we realize like, oh, okay, like there's just some basic needs we need to cover before we get into like, you know, watch your tone of voice or you need to change all this because that affects us a ton. And like you said uh, earlier, we were talking about meeting with a counselor, maybe think about like, that's something our counselor, uh, my wife and I reams me about all the time. He's like, you've said you haven't been feeling good this week. Like you got to follow up on those things first. Like those are like the base of your pyramid and it's gonna be harder to work on anything above that until you address like why are you feeling tired all the time or until you address like you know just core needs yeah uh, it's gonna be hard to build on top of that i i thought you were going a different direction when you were talking about your kids because i'm listening to you say all this like man, why are they acting like this? And like this, this anger dwelling up inside and then coming to the realization that maybe I haven't, maybe I'm or I didn't get sleep. <laughs> like maybe it's on me. It's that not also, actually the that kids. also happens. <laughs> I don't know. Both of them make me a bad parent. One means like I'm not feeding my kids when I should be feeding them. Two means I'm yelling at them because I haven't eaten, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but both are likely. But yeah, no, that is, that is true. I, I, I think I do on a personal level, I I think we all need to focus more on the physical being of ourselves, uh, too. I, I I don't take as much time to do that. Um, and it absolutely does have a, a way of creeping up on my spiritual side and, um, they're just being unrest in all of it. Well, and I'm sure you've probably read this gin, but, uh, I believe it's Russell Moore has a book. I think it's called tempted and tried where he talks about, Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And that's one of the things he points out is like Satan is tempting Jesus in a place where he's hungry and alone and tired. Mm. So he's trying to take advantage of these basic needs that Jesus is dealing with in addition to, you know, coming in with a spiritual attack. So that book was really helpful for me to to kind of think along the same line and to think like, okay, if I... (laughs) If I feel flippant about sin right now, maybe I should take a nap. <laughs> maybe I should eat. And I think it's really helpful to look at it in the story of Elijah where God essentially is saying, like, start there and then we'll work our way from on afterward. Yeah, and I've used this story to counsel people even who were afraid that God didn't want them to take medication mm. and that that made them somehow unspiritual. I was like, listen, God cares about the physical God cares about your physical well-being. He wants you to take care of it. And he knows what's going on in your body. And that sometimes you need rest and you need nutrition and you need sometimes medication. And so I think it's really important when speaking about Elijah from a mental health perspective that we realize that God cares for the physical. Sure. And so he gives them this second meal and then this is where uh, you had said before, Glenn, that you didn't, you didn't realize everything was so close. And I think in the story of Elijah, it's really important to watch the timeline because there, 
when we just read a chapter, sometimes that can mean a day and sometimes it can mean like right. 10 years, you know? So it's, <laughs> we don't really, you can't really judge by how many verses are in between, right? And it says in uh, 19.8 that he went in the strength of that meal for 40 days and 40 nights and he traveled to Horeb. And that is an incredible detail of the story. Not only is there this miraculous food that lasts him for 40 days and 40 nights, which I would like to get some of that for my teenage (laughs) son, but it would be 40 days and 40 nights. God is still only taking care of his physical. Mm. Hmm. More than a month, he just lets him heal. He just lets him rest. He just sustains him physically. There's no confrontation. There's no teaching him anything yet. Yeah. It's it's not the time. The time is coming in the next verse. But it's <laughs> it's a month and a half, basically, that he is just letting him rest physically and get ready for the next stage. And I think that that little detail, I, when I read that and really that really sunk in, it was so important to me that there's time here. There's time to yeah. heal. And then this is where we come to the cave. And this is another part of Elijah's story that is a, is a big story because God comes and, you know, Elijah's in the cave and God says to him, why are you here? And Elijah gives him his whole honest conversation again. I am the only one. And this is so important to remember because God addresses this later. Much of what he was feeling was alone. And that's mm-hmm. that's much of what I think his depression was about, was he won over these prophets of Baal and then he's looking around and it's only him. And he's wondering, am I the only one? And that's a very difficult place to be. And he's like, everyone's out to get me. They're trying to take my life. And God says, go, go stand out here, go stand and and see what I'm going to do. And the Lord passed by and there was a wind that broke rocks into pieces. And then there was earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, all three of those. And after each one, it's the Bible says the Lord was not in it. And all three of those are destructive forces. Those are all like when I was a kid, I would have said lightning's about to strike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same idea. God is in the, you spoke to God this way. Maybe you're expecting wind. Maybe you're expecting an earthquake. Maybe you're expecting fire. All destructive forces and they all destroy something in front of him. He sees the rocks breaking and, and he sees the power and the majesty of God, but that's not what God destroys him with. Instead, Mm. we know this part of the story that he speaks in a still small voice. And I like to think of that as healing again. It's, it's kind of this idea of this God is, is helping him to heal, helping him to see, teaching him now but in a very gentle, merciful way, like a father would a child, a still small voice. And he said, why are you here, Elijah? And 
Elijah, still the same things. I have been (laughs) very passionate for you, God, and I'm the only one and still people are trying to kill me. (laughs) Kind of like, what are you not seeing about this situation? (laughs) And the next verses, uh, 15 through 18 of chapter 19, God gives Elijah a set of instructions. And I used Mm. to just gloss over those because it's like, go see this king, go anoint this king, go find this guy named Elisha. And then uh, everyone that these kings are going to try and they're going to slay everyone that is trying to slay you. Yeah. Yeah. And also I have 7,000 left in Israel that have not bowed the knee. Yeah. And I thought at first it's like, okay, snap back to it, Elijah, you're back to work. But it's really not. When you think about what Elijah said to God all of those times in those honest conversations, he's actually addressing every fear yeah. that Elijah had. And he's actually saying, don't worry about Jezebel and Ahab. I'm going to take care of them. You go anoint a different king. Don't worry about the people who are trying to slay you. I'm going to take care of those people. Don't worry that you're not a, that you are alone because I have 7,000 more people just like you, as faithful as you are. I'm going to show hmm. them to you. And then the best part is Elisha. Not only did I address every fear that you have and take care of every fear that you have in a real tangible way, hmm. but I'm also now going to give you a support system for the rest of your life. Yeah, man. Because it says at the end of chapter 19, uh, that Elisha goes after Elijah and ministers to him. Yeah. And they are inseparable for the rest of Elijah's life. And God never leaves him alone again. He could never again say, I am alone, because he has a partner in the ministry now. Mm. And it's such a built in support system that we all need. We all need when we've struggled, when we've gone through these times. If you have been through a time where you honestly did not want to live anymore, yeah, you need a support system. Yeah. And mm. God gives that to him. And I just think those mundane instructions that we could just gloss over are actually so beautiful and really yeah. show what the the intense care that God is taking for Elijah and the time, God doesn't owe Elijah an explanation. And yet he is taking the time to address every fear that Elijah has. And Elijah lives out the rest of his life then in faithful service because he got the help and support he needed. That is, I've never taken the time to see like the direct correlation (laughs) between those things. It's like all of those fears and how, how God responds directly to each of them. That that blows my mind. Well, and I think you make a really good point that applies to tons of places in the Bible is these passages that we kind of write off as like mundane, almost like housekeeping, like, yeah, yeah, and here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. Or even, you know, there's parts in Paul's letters where he's like, hey, by the way, also do these things. And it seems like, you know, Paul's just writing at the end of a letter or like, hey, just want to remind you, like take out the trash on Wednesday or whatever. Uh, <laughs> they seem very uh, like unimportant, but when you dig in and see what's really behind it, they can be super helpful and, and, and provide a lot of fruit 
in your reading. And so uh, I really like that you made that point about that last section. I do want to jump back just a tiny bit because, uh, again, I'm, I'm thinking about my kids when at the beginning of the section of First Kings 19, I think around verse 9, is when he asks him the first time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds like this and this and this, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm the only guy here. And then he does all the all the big wonders, and then he speaks to him in that small voice, and he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> like he asks him again. What do you think is like the significance of that repetition? Because uh, like I said, thinking about my kids, like that's something I, I catch myself doing a lot. Like I'll be like, what? why are you acting like this or whatever it may be? And they respond big and emotional and you kind of let it, let it happen. And then you, you get, you know, a little more tuned in and a little quieter and be like, but what's going on? You know what I mean? Do you think that is kind of the, the, the feeling that God is giving to Elijah of like, no, 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 seriously, I'm right here. I'm close to you. I'm with you. What are you doing here? Yeah. I think it's like the proverb says the soft answer turns away wrath, right? It's mm-hmm. like, let's calm you down a little bit. Yeah. Let's, this is probably Elijah's fear that God is going to just strike him dead. And it's actually even Elijah's hope that God is going to strike him dead, right? That's really what he wants is to die. And so it could be he's trying to egg God on to just kill him. But Mm. it also could be that he's just, his emotions are so heightened that God is just going to say to him, like, here's what you might be expecting. Let me do the unexpected here. (laughs) And I think you know, in the illustration with your kids, same thing. There's times when our kids do stuff that they are expecting the wrath, you know, and you, when you respond with grace, it Mm. really, it takes them aback and they, they will respond differently to that than if you just flip out on them. And I think that that's a little bit of what God is doing here with Elijah. And I think also, it's kind of like when we go to counseling or something and they say, but how do you really feel? <laughs> yeah. It's that, se- <laughs> that second, like, no, we can talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's have this conversation. Let's really address this. Well, and I think there's kind of another application point hidden in there of like, don't, I think often when we are worked up and when we are really emotional, we want to do something then or make a decision or try to get out of it or whatever that may be. And like, it's just another simple of like, maybe like take a little bit of like, maybe calm down first. (laughs) Let's like take a breather before we try to address this. And this is 41 days. This is 41 days after he first felt that way. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Long breather. Yeah, he did. (laughs) And we all do sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next time my wife and I have a disagreement, I'd be like, just give me 41 days. We'll come back to this. Uh, I would not suggest that. <laughs> and she, she's like, okay, you can take your 41 days, but you only get this one meal to last that 41 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not finished my counseling degree yet, but I can already tell you that's not a great idea. That's probably good advice. I'm glad you said that too, because I was definitely going to be like, I mean, Jen told me this is what... <laughs> Oh, anyway, so sorry to take us back a little bit, but like you said, now we're we're a little forward in the story and God has, you know, told him, uh, told him how he's going to take care of the situation. So where does that leave us? Uh, Yes, he has this partnership and Elijah and what happens after that? Yeah. So Elijah and Elisha work together beautifully and 
Elisha really becomes a protege of Elijah and ends up with a double portion of Elijah, if you can believe that after all his miracles and everything. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of you're never done. If you are submitted to God, if you will listen, if you will do what he says, you know, he, he went in that journey in the strength of God. He waited the 40 days. He didn't take his own life. He was waiting on what God had to say. And he ends up having this honest conversation with God. Didn't take away the feelings right away, but he waits on God. He listens to God and in the end is able to serve again and become arguably more useful in the end than he ever was because he passes on that strength to Elisha who then does double what Elijah did. And I think that we're never, we're never done our usefulness to God. You can be at a point in your life where you're so low that you think you're completely alone and that you want to die. And you can even be begging God to take your life. And there is still beauty and usefulness left in your life. Yeah. That's that's really good. Well, I think it says a lot about, I think maybe not a lot, but it says something about there being seasons in life. You know, Mm -hmm. Elijah has gone through the part where he's like calling down, you know, like heaven fire to like spite these uh, prophets of Baal. And now he's in this shift. Right. And I think this, this kind of identity crisis that he has, Uh, is something most people experience in their lifetime of shifting between seasons of what it looks like for God to use us. Like I'm friends with a lot of pastors. I know that's always a weird transition when you're, when you're going out of full-time ministry into some other realm, or maybe you're retiring, you know, towards the end of life and figuring out, okay, what is this next, what does this next path look like? But that's also true just for the everyday, like normal church member, whether that be a job or, you know, people deal with this between, you know, becoming empty nesters, like shifting seasons and God changing Mm. how he's using us in that period of time. I think this is a a good passage to kind of look to and see that God's faithful throughout that. And he still, as you said, has a lot use left for them, even though it looks a little different than it did before. Yeah, and I also yeah. think it speaks to the seasons of it's not going to be mountaintop all the time. Yeah. And you can't live at that level all the time. There will be low periods. And mm. yes, Elijah's is more extreme. Mine might be more extreme than most people encounter on a regular basis, but the lessons mm. are still there for everyone, because we're all going to encounter low periods where we need to have honest conversations with God, where we need to start getting that help that we need, where we need support systems, where we need rest. And it doesn't have to be to the point where you're suicidal to need those systems in place. Yeah, sure. I love, I love the, uh, just to bring it back a little bit, the relationship that Elijah and Elisha have to uh, just reading through it, like after Elisha is working with Elijah, 
Elijah's like, yeah, I've been called to go to this place. <laughs> and it's like, Elijah's like, oh no, I'm coming too. Like it, it almost just feels like this, this younger brother that's like just always there almost is how I'm picturing Elijah feeling this, but it, it is a support system he needs. It gives uh, me like up vibes, like the movie up, like the older guy, uh, yeah. and like the excited, Russell. like, yeah, young kid. Like that's a little bit what it feels like at the beginning of their relationship. Crotch the old man and... Young, young guy <laughs> eager to serve yeah yeah but it's so good so good it is good and like i said going back to kind of my own personal experience like seeing older men and women who deal with that well like moving out of like maybe being the one in charge or being the one that's that's calling the shots or whatever into more of a uh, a coaching role or a confidant or whatever that may be kind of the the type of relationship that Elijah ends up having with Elisha. It's really beautiful to see them them transition that because it's hard to do. A lot of people don't do it well, but but it's always a joy to see older people put up with a lot of stuff from younger <laughs> people because they know that that's where God has them right now and that's where God's using them to kind of help help the gospel go out, help continue God's work into the next generation. That's awesome. So Jennifer, let me ask then, in light of these chapters that we've kind of been talking through, what what do you think some of the bigger takeaways or like practical lessons we could we could use from this story in our own lives when we're feeling those maybe bouts of depression or just feeling like man, I, I'm done. Um, what, what do you think, I guess, advice or takeaways from the story? What, what would you tell somebody in that place right now? I think for me, the most impactful and most life-changing lesson I've learned from Elijah is this idea of honest conversations with God. I think that we don't deal with something until we've talked about it or until we've acknowledged it. And you can mm. have a lot of those feelings inside without ever saying them out loud and without ever admitting them to God. And God is always our number one place to run, our number one confidant, our number one help and refuge and strength. And if you can't have those conversations with God, you probably won't have them with a spouse or with a counselor or with a friend. And you need to be having these conversations, no matter what level your depression or anxiety or even suicidal thoughts are, no matter what level they're at, they warrant conversation and they need conversation. And I think we're so afraid of becoming flippant with God or irreverent, or even I've had pushback talking about this from people that say, well, we're not supposed to complain. Well, Mm. there's a big difference between complaining against God and telling him what you feel. Yeah. Mm. And I think in the Psalms, we see continuously over and over again, this idea of the psalmist saying, God, I feel like this. I feel like you have abandoned me. And then at yeah. the end of the psalm, he reminds himself of what he knows to be true about his God. Yeah. God, you are my refuge. You are my strength. Yeah. And that is the way that we can do this honest conversation without being irreverent or without being disrespectful or, or dishonest. We don't want to lead with, I don't know, have sure. you ever had this prayer where you're like, dear God, you start to pray for your lunch 
you're like, thank you for this day. And thank you for this food and my children and my family. And then you go and two seconds later, you're like, ugh, I hate my life. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah, you just, di- you just didn't pray. You, yeah. you yeah. said some rote you things said some words. <laughs> that you think you're supposed to say. Yeah. You didn't have a conversation yeah. with God then. And yeah. I think that we need to have a lot more honesty with God and that we can do that while maintaining a right relationship with him. We, uh, we are big on bringing up like, we're both into music a lot. Oh, I'm a and music teacher were, on the side. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I used to lead worship at the church that we were both uh, planting at, and Tanner uh, played drums. I used to do what Glenn told me. (laughs) (laughs) But not anymore. uh, Not. (laughs) We, um, yeah, we always talk about music. And as you were saying all that, there's a band, King's Kaleidoscope, who came out with an album a while back, uh, and I, I believe the song is titled "A Prayer." And in the song. He just gets raw and there's just there was a lot of backlash over it he, he even cussed at one point in yeah. the song there is which, a clean version if, if that bothers is, you yeah. listen to the clean version yeah <laughs> for sure yeah. but but there there was this all of this debate over it like how could you let that out being a christian artist like there are kids looking up to you like all this stuff and at first i was thinking the same thing like why would you do that but he wrote the song it, it was a genuine prayer well that he was putting into and I'm Sorry, not even a hundred. Well, I was just gonna say I'm not even a hundred percent sure how I feel about it or if I would do what he did. But I think to go back to Jen's point, one of the things that he does right, if you agree with him, is he's not cursing at God. He's explaining like right. this is how I feel about like all the stuff that's going around, and I'm and I'm trying to deal with it with you. Um, and so if you think he did it right. That's how, how I think he did it right. I'm not sure I'm sure, ready to sure. make a judgment call on it yet, but no, no. Uh, teach his own. Well, if you like music, then you think of the Psalms that way. Like the Psalms were not just private letters or private mm. prayers. They were actually yeah. written for the people to sing. Like, yeah. think of church. And some of those are pretty. Yeah. Think of church these days. That's if true. we got up and sang that all, all together yeah. as a com- congregation, like let's let's sing about how we feel the Lord has abandoned us today. Sure, church would be a lot different, but it'd be a lot more honest. And I think yeah. we would have some more conversations that were necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot, I'm gonna start leading worship again somewhere, and we're just gonna do straight <laughs> songs all the time. Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, anyway, it's been a great conversation, Jen. We really appreciate you. Uh, coming on and schooling us about Elijah much better than we probably did last time we talked about it. Uh, so we appreciate you fixing our mistakes. So Jen, before we kind of wrap up uh, the episode, we wanted to give you a chance to just kind of plug yourself. Do you have things going on uh, that we should know about? Uh, give us some insight into what you're doing right now. Yeah, if someone just heard how awesome you are and they want to follow you, whatever, <laughs> what do they do? What do they do? Uh, okay, so I have a website, jensnewsong.com. You can find everything kind of central there. I'm most often on Instagram at Jen's New Song, and I hang out there almost every day. And so I'd love it if you came and said hi. I'd also love to know if you came because of this podcast. That would be really cool. Hey, and um, 
And I have a podcast coming out in April. I'm not sure when this episode airs, but it'll be right around there probably. And it is called Head and Heart Honest Conversations. You can tell I really like honest conversations. (laughs) Honest Conversations on Mental Health and Faith. And this is actually a reiteration of my previous podcast called Jen's New Song. And I am joining a network and I'm going to be writing for them regularly too. And that network is called the Everyday Christian Network. So I'll be there once a week. The podcast is coming under that network and getting rebranded as we speak. And uh, yeah, so come find me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you at this point. I'm small enough that I can respond to all my DMs. (laughs) So please DM me and uh, tell me that you're new and I'd, I'd love to connect with you there. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to make sure I'm following you as soon as we're done recording this. But (laughs) if you're listening to this, you should also go follow Jen and tell her how much you liked uh, the episode. And again, I I don't know how many times we've said it, but we appreciate you. We're glad to have you on. Um, As always, guys, you can follow us on social media. If you want to let us know what you thought about this episode or tell us what you'd love to hear in a future episode. You can reach out to us there or email us directly at hello at bibleandstuff.com. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.